We're going to look this morning at Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter. So if you would look with me, please, at page 1197. I will read from chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Right, well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you very much, Nick, for leading us, and for HJ for reading. We're going to be looking at uh, the passage that was read, so it would be helpful if you keep your Bibles open there. Um, Over these weeks of the summer holiday period, we're looking through... Paul's second letter to Timothy to see what we can learn. And if you were here for the last two weeks, you would have heard Nat Charles taking us through chapter one. And this morning, we'll now see what Paul has to say to Timothy and to us in chapter two, in the first half. Those of you probably in business, but I think all of us have come across various weird phrases that... um, Uh, generally have originated in the US and have made their way over to here. I'm thinking of things like pushing the envelope, touching base, taking a rain trick, a water cooler moment. Um, Some of you might use these. Some of you probably don't know what they mean. Some of you don't know what they mean and still use them. But there's there's another phrase which is, I think, I'm sure you've heard, and that is being taken out of one's comfort zone. And really, that's one, that is a phrase I think we can all very easily relate to. What's our comfort zone? Well, it's a place where we feel safe, secure, we know what's happening, we know what's around the corner. And we like our comfort zone, if we're honest, whether it's in the home, or a job we're doing, a familiar job. Maybe if we're at school, it's, a, it's being in our class with our friends around us. But it's necessary often for us to grow to be taken out of our comfort zone. 
And as parents, we know this. The time you take the stabilizers off the child's bike, they don't like it. They're out of their comfort zone. Or maybe having to walk to school for the first time on their own. Or for us, starting a new job. That job we wanted, but then suddenly on that first day we think, are we up to it? Can we handle it? I'm out of my comfort zone. And as Christians, I think we'd be fair to say we quite like being in our comfort zone. Nice, safe church environment. Maybe a comfortable existence um, uh, in the church. We've got uh, the job that we're, we know we can do, safe with. Um, perhaps some of us are a bit reticent about becoming a church member because we're not sure about wanting to do that. Might be going out of our comfort zone. There could be a whole range of reasons. And Timothy, in many ways, was facing this challenge. He was being taken out of his comfort zone. And the person who is going to help him with this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly isn't in a comfort zone. Paul is in a war zone. He's suffering for being a preacher of the gospel. He's in a Roman prison, and he's chained. We saw that in verse 9, the passage we read. As we go on through this letter, we'll see that he believes his time on this earth is about to end. He is facing death. He says he's being poured out as a drink offering and that the time of his departure is at hand. He spent a lifetime building up churches around uh, the Middle East and beyond. And yet he's experiencing setbacks. We saw that last week, that uh, people in Asia have turned away False teachers are coming along, undermining his message. He's in a war zone. And in that war zone, he is looking for those he can trust, for support. And one of those is his old friend, Timothy. Paul and Timothy, if you know Acts, have gone through a lot together. Timothy, uh, as we saw Uh, From chapter 1, he's a true believer. And he comes from a family of believers, particularly his mother and grandmother. Um, Timothy has been taught by Paul himself. And he's the leader of the church in Ephesus. But Timothy is being brought out of his comfort zone. He's having to deal with false teachers who are going about opposing his teaching and seeking to undermine the faith of those in his congregation. In addition, if you read on through that, you'll see that Paul wants Timothy to come to Rome to help him whilst he's in prison. Which, given Paul's situation and reputation, could be highly risky. So he's being taken out of his comfort zone through suffering and hardship certainly mentally and emotionally, possibly through abuse and ridicule, 
and possibly through physical persecution. Therefore, part of the reason that Paul is writing this letter is to encourage him in the face of this prospect. Now, Timothy is not your Bruce Willis. He is not a bold, assertive person. He's rather a reticent, inward, shy person. He's very conscientious. And I think he probably gets very stressed. I think he's very stressed at this moment. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he's got an IBS. You know what one of those is? An irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that reference of Paul to taking wine in 1 Timothy 5 for his stomach ailments is because he's so knotted up dealing with these issues and yet he hasn't got that personality that enables him to, you know, really go in and, uh, and, and get, it, uh, get it sorted out. So, and, and that's very interesting, I think, because it shows us that the Bible deals with us as individuals. We see Peter, the impetuous person, fiery. There's Paul, the intellectual, assertive. There's Timothy, reticent, shy, Timothy, timid. But... Timothy has to be taken out of his comfort zone. And we're going to see why that has to happen, how to deal with it, and the, uh, what God gives to enable him to do so. Now, how about ourselves at Grace Church? Are we like Timothy? Have we got to the point where we're in a rather cosy situation? Or maybe, are we a bit diffident at work or at school about sharing our faith, about putting our head above the parapet, um, about perhaps knowing some of our views on matters? Well, Paul has something to say to us here as well. But maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Well, here is an opportunity, I think, this morning to hear about what it really means to be a Christian. Often it's said that come to Jesus and he will solve all your problems. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. For Timothy, being a Christian meant that his life was going to be hardship and suffering. In fact, hardship and suffering suffering precisely because he is a Christian. And in fact, as Paul later goes on to show, this really is a general principle of the human life, uh, of the Christian life. So, in this passage, Paul is going to encourage Timothy to encourage him that serving the risen Lord Jesus Christ means enduring hardship and suffering. But there is the prospect of enjoying eternal glory with Jesus his Saviour, and that this is, in fact, a well-trod path. And uh, if you want to take notes then on the back of the service sheet there is uh, an opportunity to see some of the points that I'm making and also if you want to add some notes in to do so. So, let's look at this first point. Endure hardship in the service of Jesus our Saviour. Timothy is going to face suffering. There are false teachers who are quarrelling on his teaching on the gospel, and we'll hear more about that next week. And it's causing him some suffering, and it seems it's going to increase. 
There are risks, as we've already said, that uh, are likely to take place when Paul, uh, when Timothy comes to visit Paul uh, in Rome. It's a hostile world climate that he's living in. And therefore, it's hardly surprising that Timothy might be worried, frightened, apprehensive. And therefore, Paul says straight out, if we look in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Notice Paul doesn't come along with tea and sympathy. Rather, he issues an order. Um, there was a great preacher, Welsh preacher, up in, um, up in Westminster, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He used to minister at Westminster Chapel. And uh, he had this great quote. He said, the, the Christian isn't in a hospital. He's in a barracks. And to be a minister of the gospel, as Timothy was, and indeed to be a Christian, as I trust we are, means that we're not patients. We're not on a hospital bed. We're not on a hospital ward. We're soldiers in Christ's army. And we're out in the war zone. Now, we're, to be honest, extremely fortunate in this country that over the last you know, 60 years, we've lived under peace. We haven't risked being shot as we've walked out of our door or as we meet together on a Sunday. But, as I'm sure we're all aware, the political climate is changing. Evangelical Christians are progressively becoming a disliked, even hated, minority. And we've seen this particularly, I think, with all the discussion in the newspaper and in the media in general over the debate that's going on with the Lambeth Conference, with what human sexuality is, and how it should be lived, and how it relates to leadership in the church, and the view that we take that homosexuality is wrong, is out of kilter with what the world wants to say about it, certainly in this country. And we're seeing a rise of militant atheism. People like Richard Dawkins, who feel they're on the, on the up. They've got the edge now. And uh, if you're into Radio 4 commentary, just listen to some of the rants that Marcus Brigstock likes to make about Christianity. It's a different world. And so the world that Timothy is in is maybe not so far away from the world that we're in, or progressively will be. So, where's the encouragement? Well, the encouragement is, that first of all, that suffering is at the heart of the Christian gospel. Let's have a look at verse 8, where Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. The offspring of David. Jesus Christ is that promised king, the one that would succeed David, the one that would be the hope of all Israel, the one that would be the great deliverer. But how was that deliverance to be effected? Well, it was through suffering, and in particular, through death. Death on a cross. A vile death. And horrendous death. And in fact, if we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see it in the Gospels, 
Jesus was never in his comfort zone. The Lord of heaven has come to earth. He's living amongst sinners. He's progressively being hated by the very people he's come to save. And it said, he said to someone when they were talking about following him, he said, look, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus became the focal point of a nasty and vicious campaign by the religious leaders of that day to discredit him, to persecute him, and ultimately to kill him. So, Timothy, look to Jesus Christ. You're going to go through suffering, but look at he has suffered. You're not on your own. There's one who has walked this way before you. But this path of suffering is also exemplified by the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian preacher that's lived and church planter. And yet his life, when he became, from virtually the moment he became a Christian, was marked by suffering. And as he writes this letter, he's still suffering as he gets to the end of his life. And yet he says, remember, verse 8 again, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Why is he suffering? Because he's still preaching the gospel, and people still don't like it. And if you want to know just how much people didn't like it, then read 2 Corinthians 11, and listen to that list of beatings, stonings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, and on and on he go. His body must have looked black and blue by the end of his life because of all of the, uh, all that he had to suffer and face. However, although Paul is bound, it does not mean the word of God is bound. Verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Rather, it's through Paul's suffering that the word of God, the gospel, the good news of being saved from your sins in Jesus Christ, is being furthered. Of course, that's a great reminder that the gospel never relies on one person. Paul has been a great stalwart of the Christian faith. But Paul is now in prison. He's facing death. But the word that he received from Jesus Christ is not bound. For example, if we look in verse 2, he's passed it on to Timothy. And now Timothy, of course, Timothy is not expendable. Timothy passes it on to faithful men. And those in turn will teach others. The gospel goes out. This is the true apostolic succession. This is how God's kingdom is built. And so we never think that we're dispensable. No one likes, of course, to suffer. So what other encouragement is there for Timothy and for Paul, and indeed for us, to keep going when faced with persecution and suffering from the gospel? And note, I want to make a difference here. This is different from the ordinary trials of life. Um, it was very helpful hearing D- 
Dave talking about Ecclesiastes and the fact that good things and bad things happen to people. And I think often we have to be very careful. You know, we might get ill and we'll say, oh, we've got my cross to bear. Well, I wouldn't see it that way. And we'll, as we, let's look, work through this, that Paul here isn't talking about the aches and pains of life. Paul is talking about specifically suffering because you are a Christian, because you stand for Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge. So why is it worth it? Why be stoned? Why be beaten? Why be imprisoned? Why be crucified? Well, it's where the gospel leads to that's important. That's what makes the difference. Can you turn with me then to Romans 8, uh, page 1137? And let's read verses 16 to 18 of Romans chapter 8. So it's Paul speaking, Paul writing, and he says, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. And this is the verse I want you to focus on. Bearing in mind what we've said about Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul, we've heard about your stonings, your imprisonments, your beatings. That looks like a pretty heavy weight. And Paul says, no. Let's get the scales out. Let's put this in there, in the balance. And let's put glory, eternal glory. There's no contest. It doesn't just tip. The whole thing's rocked over. The weight of eternal glory far exceeds anything. And bear in mind, none of us here has, or certainly probably will, have to endure what Paul suffered. And yet when he accounts it, there's no contest. Glory outweighs it all. And let's go back to that verse. Let's go back to verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Jesus died, and it was a horrendous death. But that, of course, wasn't the end of the story. Far from it. Paul says that Jesus rose from the dead. Of course, where is he now? Well... Let's turn to the Apostles' Creed that we um, frequently recite on Sunday morning here. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And in fact, we've just sung it. Jesus, although he suffered, is now reigning in glory with his Father. So the prospect of eternal glory is a powerful motivation. It was for Jesus. It was for Paul personally. But also, it is for us. If we look at verse 10, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's people. 
so that they might obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What does it mean to be saved? Is it to come to Jesus and have all your problems solved? No, it's come to Jesus, be prepared to endure hardship and suffering because of him, but, and it is a big but, know that in the end your life here, uh, sorry, know that at the end of your life here you have the prospect of eternal glory to enjoy. And so I think we can then use these three pictures, these three metaphors that Paul gives um, in verses uh, uh, 4 to um, four to 8 regarding the, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Being a first century soldier was no easy life. It was one of discomfort and suffering. But the soldier would endure it in order to receive, in a sense, his reward, in order to please his commanding officer. It required dedication, it required focus. He would not get entangled in civilian affairs. And I don't want to go into uh, a lot of detail on that, but certainly when we can say that it doesn't mean you don't retreat into a monastery, but rather that if we're not being entangled in, in civilian affairs, we're not seeking the praise of others, we're seeking the praise of the one who enlisted us. We don't seek the praise of men, we seek the praise of Christ. Surely there's those words in Matthew's Gospel that uh, echoes here, uh, the, with the talents, the parable of the talents, where at the end there's that, well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what we're working for? Well done, good and faithful servant. So, let's be focused like soldiers, pleasing our commanding officer. But also we see this picture of the athlete. We're going to hear a lot of pictures of athletes, or we'll see a lot of pictures of athletes over these next two weeks or so, with the Olympic Games being on. The hardship, the training, the dedication is incredible. And I'm sure we've already seen stories of that um, but of course, according to the rules, I was listening to a very interesting interview with a cyclist, one of these people who competes in the Tour de France, uh, an American, and saying the temptation to take drugs was incredible because so many other people were doing this. This was a, a few years ago. And you would put so much effort in and you'd still only come third. But... You've got to peak, compete according to the rules. We have, to com- we have to compete according to the commands Jesus has given us, the rules Jesus has given us. And that will be hard, it will be difficult. But, in the end, there is a crown. Not a laurel wreath, not a, a gold medal, but a crown of righteousness, which is in heaven. Finally, there's a hard-working farmer, one who has to prepare the ground, sow the seed, cultivate, weed, bring in the harvest. But all of that effort, ultimately, there is that reward. So we see these three pictures, suffering, hardship, but there's reward, there's praise, there's a crown. And so let's think about these things. 
as Paul says. Let's grant that the Lord will give us understanding as we apply those pictures, this concept of being prepared to suffer in the light of the eternal glory that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will give to us. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, do we see the glory? It's so easy for it to get marred and lost in all the busyness of life. Is the hope of heaven, the hope of glory, something that affects our thoughts, our motives, our actions? Well, certainly it was for Jesus. Perhaps turn with me to uh, the book of Hebrews uh, on page 1,212. Let's see what motivated Jesus as he lived. So, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, page 1212. Remember, we've had that great list of uh, the heroes of faith in the Old Testament, the men and women who stood, who persevered, who often were, were suffering. And then we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Notice that endurance uh, word there. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking where? To Jesus, our commanding officer, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And what about, what did Jesus do? Well, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and of course is now seated at the right-hand throne of God. The path, Timothy, you have to take, it's the same one Jesus took. You endure the suffering with the hope of glory. Is that the way we get up tomorrow morning and face the challenges that we are? Now, of course, don't get me wrong, I'm not, um, not preaching Christian masochism. I don't, I don't want you to sort of go out and look for suffering. But rather, the question is, how do we react when suffering comes? And do we shy away putting ourselves into a situation where suffering might arise, where persecution might arise, where difficulties might arrive? I said before that Timothy is no extrovert. He wasn't a Paul. He was of a shy and quiet disposition. And maybe you're such a person. You're wondering, well, I, I just find it so difficult. Well, how are we going to, how are we going to do that? How are we going to face up to this? Well, let's look at verse 1. Paul says, Timothy, verse 1 of chapter 2, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Never underestimate the power of grace. When we say the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we're not mouthing words, we're tapping into the resources that God has at his disposal to give to us to enable us to stand and endure uh, persecution, suffering, whatever challenges face us. It's interesting, though, of course, that God gives it at just the right time. And um, a nice illustration of this can be seen in the life of Corrie ten Boom. I don't know if any of you know about Corrie ten Boom. She was uh, a survivor of... She was a Dutch, from a Dutch Christian family, and she was a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps. Um, they were imprisoned because they hid Jews in their home. They took an incredible risk 
to save, and I think it was about 800 Jews were saved through her. It was a, it's an amazing story, and if you want to read about it, you can find it in the, in the book called The Hiding Place. She wrote in 1974 an account of when she was in Africa, in a nation where a new government had come to power. And she writes, The first night I was there, some of the Christians were commanded to come to the police station to register. When they arrived, they were arrested, and the same night they were executed. The next day, the same thing happened with other Christians. The third day, it was the same. All the Christians in the district were being systematically murdered. The fourth day, I was to speak in a little church. The people came, but they were filled with fear and tension. All during the service, they were looking at each other, and their eyes were asking, will this one I am sitting beside be the next one to be killed, or will I be the next one? The room was hot and stuffy. There were insects that came through the screenless windows and swirled around the naked bulbs over the bare wooden benches. And she says, I told them a story of my childhood. When I was a little girl, I said, I went to my father and said, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Her father says to her, tell me, when you take the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? She replied, no, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right, my father said, and so it is with God's strength. Our Father in heaven knows when you will need the strength to be a martyr for Jesus, and he will supply you all you need just in time. My African friends were nodding and smiling. Suddenly a spirit of joy descended upon that church, and the people began singing. It's interesting to hear what their sing was. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. They're looking to heaven. She then writes, Later that week, half the congregation of that church was executed. I heard later that the other half was killed some months ago. We may have to endure suffering, but there is grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, to enable us to face it, and there is glory to go to. So let us encourage that. Paul ends with a pas- this passage with a quote, which is probably from an early Christian hymn, and it reiterates the points he's been making, and also emphasizes the serious nature. So we read in verses uh, 11 to 13, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The first two lines are an encouragement, but the second two lines provide us with a very stark warning. And I would just really read from Matthew 10. The words of Jesus as a commentary on those verses. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. 
Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mo- her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have we died to Christ? Not to our sins, but to self. That he is the one we follow, even if it puts us in very difficult situations. Are we tempted to deny him? Think of all those opportunities where something comes up. We could say something. We don't. It's interesting we had that in the confession. For living as if we were ashamed to belong to your son, Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. So when you're facing that crunch decision, remember the grace of God and that you're in Christ's army and therefore look to please the captain of your salvation above all else. And remember that being taken out of your comfort zone is all part of God's purpose for preparing you and bringing you to glory. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we have been challenged by the life of your Son, by the life of the Apostle Paul, by your word, by the reminder that being a Christian is not easy. Being a Christian can lead to suffering, hardship, persecution, death. Father, we are thankful to you that we have not had to face those extreme situations. But Lord, how much worse it is therefore that in the lesser situations we often fail you. Please forgive us and grant that we might take courage from the words that Paul has given to Timothy, that they might be our own, that we might remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the gospel for whom I am suffering. Amen.